Welcome to Gen I Pod, a podcast where we get to have conversations that inspire you. Gen I has been a collaborative effort and forms part of iIndia Education. Hello and welcome to episode three of Gen I Pod. I'm Jacqueline Belts. During this episode, I look forward to welcoming Dr. Joe Mitchell, clinical psychologist and director of the Mind Room. The Mind Room is a health, well-being, and performance psychology practice based in Collingwood, Melbourne. For those of you listening who are not from Melbourne, Collingwood's an edgy part of inner Melbourne. It's an area full of young professionals, amazing architecture, hipster cafes, pop-up stores, galleries, and plenty of laneways. The Mind Room lives up to its surroundings, with a lovely venue down a cobbled laneway. Their rooms are part of a converted warehouse and are full of plants, light, and positive atmosphere. Staff mostly work four days a week, and even before COVID, they offered virtual as well as in-person consultations. At the Mind Room, they believe that when people know more about how their minds work, they suffer less and live more meaningful, connected and satisfying lives. The Mind Room has a high performance division and they work with athletes as well as many other industries and individuals. In 2018, I was looking to start a mind training program for our ophthalmology trainees. I was just starting to understand that mind skills are at least as important as technical skills when it comes to a surgeon's performance and development and I wanted to explore that. I found the mind room when I was Googling sports psychology, met Joe for coffee and the rest's history. Just about everything Joe says resonates with me and inspires me. Joe's from a medical family and has worked in health for a long time. She has a PhD and extensive experience in high performance and coaching psychology. Joe managed to grasp my blurry concepts immediately. She's made me so interested in psychology and I continue to be amazed by the benefits and importance of the whole profession, but particularly the evidence-based methods that Joe uses. We went on to develop the India program that was made possible by an educational grant from Johnson & Johnson Surgical Vision. Joe and her team took this program way beyond those original ideas and even helped me to plan research. I'm so happy to include in our program not only training in the mind skills required for high surgical performance, but also in the skills required to maintain or improve one's own personal resources and psychological well-being. We all know that surgical training is difficult. Surgery and our profession brings with it many challenges and difficulties, as well as the significant rewards. It's been nice to acknowledge this and to help our trainees develop the tools required to flourish. This year has obviously brought new challenges. What was already a hard job with a lot to learn and a lot of responsibility has become even more difficult, especially for junior doctors. Training is on hold and even though we're doing well in Australia, it's still uncertain when and how this will resume after COVID. This year, I'm so happy to be able to extend our MIND program beyond just our second year trainees. Our junior medical staff are working super hard at the moment. They're broken down into six teams and they work three days on, three days on call and then three days off. Shifts might be day or night and they don't get to interact with any colleagues outside of their teams. Together with support from the India Hospital and ongoing support from Johnson & Johnson Surgical Vision and the Mind Room, I'm so happy to be able to extend our program this year to ophthalmology trainees across all year groups, but also to our ENT trainees and some of our emergency registrars at the India. I think we could all do with some extra support and personal resources right now. In this episode, I'll discuss some of these important factors of our program with Joe. I hope you enjoy it. Hi, Joe, and welcome to Gen I Pod. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Jackie. Love uh, to be here, and um, thanks for the invitation. Could you please describe yourself professionally and personally? 
So I am a clinical and coaching psychologist. The clinical part of that uh, essentially says that I have uh, a lot of academic and experience in pathology, dysfunction, despair, and uh, all the things that can go wrong from a mental health perspective for humans. Uh, but the coaching part of it is also really important, which is um, the understanding in what's right with people and human strengths and capacities and potential. Uh, and then from a personal perspective, well, I am speaking to you from Tasmania. Usually I'm a, a Melbourne resident, but I grew up here in Tassie, which is where uh, my family are. And it's lovely to be back closer to nature at the moment. Um, and the other, I guess for me, really important life role is as an auntie to nine nephews and nieces. So they're a really important part of my life. Thanks, Joe. So on behalf of the Ionia, I've been involved with with your business and we've enjoyed collaboration between the Mind Room and us for just over a year now. Through our association, we've been working on some of the performance aspects of surgery. Can you explain a little bit about high-performance psychology? So the high-performance is really around uh, looking at what is the or what are the skills people need to perform at their best um, because that looks really different from an understanding of um, I guess pathology or dysfunction is looking at functioning so it's a relatively newer science for psychology uh, we have the typical bias of focusing on what's wrong with people rather than what's right but this area is really asking how can you do what you do better? And it's fairly well known within the sports field that this area of psychology is important, right? But I know you have a, a lot of history with sports psychology, but there are many other industries and areas where high performance is important. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that we're all concerned about achievement and performance in various domains of life. And there's ones that maybe are a little more uh, visible publicly, like performing um, as a surgeon or performing as uh, an artist as well, as well as a sports person, um, but also, you know, closer to home, performing as a parent, like getting that right, that can be really difficult. So we, um, we take what we know from performance psychology and apply it to whatever context uh, might be relevant to the person. Oh, yes. Well, performing as a parent, um, I know firsthand is much more difficult at the moment than it usually is. And there's a lot of people out there struggling with that at the moment. I look forward to uh, hearing some of your comments later. I might ask you about what it's like working with the professional sportsmen, such as the AFL players. I know you've done that a lot versus surgeons. Yeah. I wonder what the, the differences might be. All the similarities. Yes, maybe. May <laughs> So, Joe, last year you developed a program for our second-year ophthalmology trainees based on acceptance commitment training, or ACT, ACT. Could you explain what ACT is and why we decided that this could be relevant for surgeons? So acceptance and commitment training is a third-wave cognitive behavioural approach to, um, I guess, understanding human functioning. And the reason why we chose this is that it 
differs slightly from other typical cognitive behavioural approaches in that it puts at the very forefront of the, um, the, the training a question of how do I live a rich, rewarding, meaningful life rather than a lot of cognitive behavioural approaches will look at, uh, well, what's wrong with what I'm doing right now and how do I um, feel better, do better? So I think that just that shift is really significant. Uh, it also, um, I think, really covers as a framework, it's got a really strong evidence base and it covers um, everything through from uh, the kind of people who may be struggling to the ones that are looking at getting that extra, you know, 5% in terms of uh, performance. So it's a, a solid framework, good evidence base behind it. Uh, I also think it's really approachable and um, a little bit creative in how you can apply it, which I think means that you can be flexible in the context you apply it to. So when uh, we had our early discussions, Jackie, about um, how to approach this with uh, your audience, I think uh, a lot of it was recognising, well, I'm certainly not going to be an expert in surgery or understanding the intricacies of what you do, but the fundamentals of how humans tend to approach challenges, uh, failures, setbacks, um, how to balance, I guess, the demands of their professional and personal lives. That's something that we could or I could contribute to. And together, I think that this kind of acceptance commitment model really allows you to um, explore that collaboratively. A big part of our course focused on identifying personal values and goals. And that's an important part of ACT. We ran the course twice and I know that I got a lot out of that section. Could you explain why identification of personal values is so important? So this is one of my favourite pieces of the whole model, um, which is really that helping people to stop and identify what really matters to them. So what do you stand for in life? What are the guiding principles that um, help you make your everyday decisions? And what we know from the values research is that people that know their values, so first of all, we need to do that values exploration and really understand what are my values versus what I think I should be adopting or what are the values of my family or my colleagues or, or the culture that I grew up in, but what, what really belongs to me. Um, and that when people know those and they're able to live a values congruent life, that they have uh, higher well-being than people that don't. Um, there's a whole lot of other performance benefits as well that um, there seems to be a clarity around decision-making and um, problem-solving when you are guided by your personal, I guess, code of um, conduct or values. And wasn't it interesting, Joe, when we ran that exercise the the difference that we noticed um, amongst the attendees. Some, or only a few really just nailed it straight away. They knew what their personal values were and they just wrote them down and sat there wait, waiting for the rest of us to figure it out. And for me personally, it took me two days to get it right. You know, I was, we had a set of cards that had all the different options, including some blanks that we could fill out. And 
um, I, I really noticed that some people are all over this and for others of us it's a bit harder to figure out. You know, you're all a bunch of overachievers because it probably took me a good six to 12 months to really come to terms with, well, what what are my values? But I, I get what you're saying, that first kind of sort through, because um, again, we do this we do this um, in a fairly constrained kind of time format and I think that all it's doing is is priming you to think about it and to start that initial exploration but um, hopefully people continue to reflect on it well beyond. But, yeah, I saw something in one of those groups that I have never actually seen before and I've done this values exploration piece, um, you know, thousands of times now, which was uh, one um, of your colleagues who literally just did one sort through and straight away came out with um, three values, yeah, that he knew were his and um, are what guide him through life. I have never seen that kind of clarity before and um, as we got to or I got to know him over the course of the workshop, um, it was clear that, uh, you know, he had a really strong sense of who he was and what mattered and how to prioritise those things, Uh, whereas others um, struggled and, you know, like had 30 values in their first sort three. (laughs) Um, which is hard work. Like if you are listening to 30 different guides on how to live your life and how to make your decisions, that's pretty taxing or overwhelming. Um, So, yeah, I think that a lot of us haven't had the opportunity to um, explore this or have a play with it before. So this was a first attempt and it was um, a lot in the time that we had. The uh, reflection, I think, overnight, because um, the first time we ran it, we had a day between the two parts of the program. And then when we had the conversations in the morning and people coming back in and talking about their reflections, you know, those stories were the piece that I, I think I really took a lot away from. And a good reminder from you there that this is an evolution, I guess, so we can continue to work on our values or refine them. And I think I might get those cards back out when I get home. (laughs) Uh, Absolutely. Uh, Look, and what I recommend to people is that it's really worth checking in with your values um, on a regular basis. I'd say every six to 12 months to do an intentional check-in. But also if you go through a significant period of change, um, then it's likely that you will see a a shift in priority of your values. And I think that certainly what we're experiencing at the moment has people reflecting on what actually is really important to them, what matters most. Um, It's giving us a big pause. It's kind of making me a little bit redundant um, because uh, we're all being kind of forced into perhaps reflecting on Uh, the kind of life that we want to live, the kind of people that we want to be. I think that makes you more important, Jo, not not (laughs) redundant. No way, not at the moment. (laughs) Yeah. One positive coming out of 2020 seems to be that the whole world has slowed down. In medicine, we grow up with a culture that busy means important. We never stop. And as you know, the incidence of burnout is so high that we actually consider it to be normal. What do you think about the notion of busy and important and what could we do to avoid getting straight back to this after COVID? Um, Look, I think this is um, an incredible opportunity 
that uh, for a lot of people they would not um, do this pause in and of themselves until they did burn out, um, crash. And I've seen it far too often in a, in a range of industries of which medicine is absolutely one of them where really smart people continue to feed this cycle of busy means important um, and that I have to keep on this cycle of, uh, I guess, really running ourselves into the ground. And again, it's not to say that that this isn't a really important um, field. Uh, it absolutely is, but not to the point that we don't also take care of our own health and well-being. So you've, you've probably um, seen my approach to this. I think I've certainly got caught up in that story before and there was a point in life for me where I was pretty burnt out. And the thing that, that helped me uh, was a cartoon by Doug Savage um, and it's called Savage Chickens and it's just very simple uh, pencil outline drawings of of chickens effectively anyway there's two chickens and they're they're chatting to each other and one chicken's just there going life's good and the other chickens they're going I wouldn't know I'm far too busy and important to have a life and I just had that moment of oh my god I am that chicken on the right far too busy far too important to have a life I want to be the chicken on the left. Life is good, yeah, that I I know what's important and I'm getting enough of all the things that feed me. So for the last sort of seven, six, seven years for me, that's what I've been pursuing, um, a chicken on the left life where life is good and I do have a lot more balance and I'm not so caught up in that story of, you know, I'm far too busy and important because um, we're not. We're just humans. Um we can make a really significant contribution in the world, but um, so can everyone. That's amazing, Joe. And I've seen your chicken cartoon and it really resonates with me as well. Thank you for showing it um, to me before. Um, and, you know, I've been there too. I think, you know, in our industry, many of us have and um, it is one of the things that perhaps we can all reflect on at the moment because last time for me, um, I, I was quite burnt out, had a lot of projects um, going on, but knew that I was due for sabbatical. So during sabbatical, that was a really great opportunity to wind down. And I was so grateful to have that opportunity. It's not often we get to take that break. Um, but after sabbatical, things just built up again very quickly. So I'm using this break to figure out how I can do things a little bit differently this time coming back into work. I guess I'm lucky that I've had two chances. Yeah, I think the, the, the other thing that's really important is we put a lot of the pressure on ourselves, like I've got to sort this out or get this right. But there's something fundamentally broken with our culture and our systems. And that's not going to be changed by us individually. I think that that's where the collective action piece needs to come into play. You know, there's, there's something about um, the messaging that we get given in a range of industries that feeds this story and keeps us on this cycle. And until I think we all collectively go, enough is enough, 
um, then it's it's not going to change. Um, so it's great that you're even having this kind of a conversation and um, being open and being vulnerable about that because I think a lot of us are thinking it but not talking about it. It is difficult when it's not a part of the culture to talk about it, isn't it? And I, I know the generation ahead of me in in medicine wouldn't have even thought about work-life balance. And I feel like my generation thinks about it, but doesn't necessarily talk about it or do anything. My hope lies in the next gen, because I think that they really believe it and they know it and they just need help with some strategies. So, you know, I, I think there's a positive outlook and um, potential for change, even within my industry. Yeah. And I think even the way that like running this podcast, but also the way that you opened it, asking me about my professional and personal life um, is kind of that acknowledgement of we are human, we are more than just, you know, the professional label that we carry around. And, you know, it's really important to me and what's helped me to put up the boundaries is going my role as an auntie really matters to me. And if I don't invest the time and the energy into that, then um, I am going to ultimately feel incredibly unfulfilled with my life. So that's, that is back on me, but just the permission to be proud about that and to state it as, yep, I'm a clinical psychologist and I'm an auntie. I'm also a cat owner, so I'm a little bit nervous that I am um, heading towards fulfilling that uh, spinster cat lady uh, story, but <laughs> we'll see if I can change that story as well. No way, the cat's so important and I know that he went down to Tassie with you. He did and um, talking about uh, performance and, and being a high achiever, he uh, caught his first ever mouse in his seven years of life the other day so he's feeling pretty proud. Getting back into the country lifestyle yeah. in the middle of Hobart. Absolutely, not so many mice in my uh, six-storey uh, uh, CBD apartment. <laughs> Joe, one problem with surgery is that we don't have permission to fail. If we think about most sports and many other areas of high performance, we often improve by practicing over and over, kind of messing up or missing and trying again. We can't do that in surgery. And it's one of the reasons why we wanted GenI to be a community rather than just a course, and also why virtual reality training can be so useful for us. We don't make mistakes on purpose in virtual reality, but at least we can safely try new things. It's well known in my field that many surgeons stick to their tried and true methods, even for their whole career. And sometimes I think that that might be a good approach, but when innovations or improvements come along in surgery, it can hold us back. What do you think about permission to fail and what can we do in fields like mine where we can't give ourselves that permission within our, our real actual work environment? So I would um, challenge the idea that you can't fail and I imagine that every day there are failures. They're probably just not the uh, big F fail um, that uh, puts somebody's life or, or health at risk. Um, but what we probably need is permission to talk about the little small glitches, failures in an open way because I think that they do happen, yeah? But yeah, I'm sure that that would be, uh, that's a really good point, Joe. because just because it's not a huge failure doesn't mean everything went perfectly well. Yeah, so the 
a quote I like, which is probably known to a lot of people out there, but it it comes from one of the uh, most phenomenal performers um, the sports world's uh, ever seen, which is Michael Jordan, when he said, I've missed more than 9,000 shots, I've lost almost 300 games, I've been trusted 26 times to take the winning shot and missed, I've failed over and over and over again in life, and that is why I succeed. Um, that attitude is um, really, I think, important, and it certainly is part of what we talk about in the program is the mindset and the difference between that kind of really fixed mindset, which will still see you achieving or performing in life, but if you really want to maximise your potential, what we actually need is that growth mindset. And a growth mindset, one of the key pieces of that um, is being uh, willing to embrace challenges and knowing that it's okay to fail. And I need to talk about that because there's something that I'm going to learn from those failures. But if we combine this idea of a fixed mindset where I either avoid challenges or avoid talking about failures or even small failures, give up easily, go back to tried and tested methods. Um, if we combine that with the I'm too busy and important kind of story, we have a bit of a lethal mix because it's all about protecting ego and protecting um, my status in the world rather than genuinely being about, okay, I'm human, of course I'm not going to get this right all the time. But if I talk about it, if I talk to my colleagues, if we find a way through together, then I am going to lift and open my performance to a whole other level. And it just allows that learning from the failure, doesn't it? If you approach with that growth mindset that you're talking about, um, every failure is an opportunity, not that we would fail on purpose, but an opportunity to reflect and think about how it could have been avoided or what we could do differently or better. And talking about it is really the way to um, come to those realisations, isn't it? And it helps people around you to improve as well. Yeah, absolutely. Because not only will you learn, but other people will learn as well. And being able to take responsibility, I think, for failures to know, okay, was that about me? Did I, have I been pushing things too hard? So, my performance is uh, not able to be sustained at the level that I'm asking it or is this about preparation or is this about the technology um, or the um, resources that we have here so to be able to stop and go be curious about it and go okay why why did that happen how did we get there and what is within my control um, so that I can actually do something differently next time. There's a classic example in my field, Joe, that sometimes when people fail, we, we've all been guilty of it actually, we blame the instruments or the patient or the nurse, you know, anything other than realising that you or I needed to do something better. And it's really something that I think needs continuous work um, for anybody in a high-performance field, but you know, that include, includes us and um, really 
anything that happens in a surgery is a surgeon's responsibility. And, and every time something doesn't go as well as we're hoping or expect, we need to have this reflection and discussions and consideration of what we can do to um, make sure it does go as well as expected or ideally even better than that. Uh, and I think that that maybe is key is that ultimately the responsibility sits with the surgeon but if you have a team approach to this, we are in this together. So if you fail or I fail in some way, then it's all of our failure and we need to support each other and learn from this and work out what it is that we need to do to improve. Whereas I think, you know, humans, um, when we feel strong emotions, which of course, you know, when we screw something up, um, there's an emotional component that goes with that and it feels uncomfortable. We don't like it. So we try to shift that emotional content and often the easiest way is to go into blame, um, blame others or blame myself. Um, I imagine that a lot of uh, your colleagues are also highly self-critical. They may be critical of others, but they'll be highly self-critical as well. Uh, you know, beating yourself up, isn't the way through and recognising that, that that's a waste of your time and your energy. So we need to acknowledge the emotion, ouch, this hurts. I don't like messing up. I like to do the best job I can. And then how do I move beyond uh, this discomfort to focus on, okay, where, be curious, where did it go wrong and how do we uh, change this for the future? Amazing, Joe. And of course, we can't just decide to have a, a growth mindset. You know, we're all going to have a fixed mindset at some times and a, a growth mindset at others, right? I, I've been seeing this lately as the, the more aware I become of um, of these sort of things, that the more I notice around me. And I definitely see in my child times when she'll have a very fixed mindset. And as a parent, I'm like, oh, quick, I have to train her or teach her how to think in this way but we don't really have that direct control but it is um, interesting to try to manipulate our, our own mindset or, or those around us. Yeah look you're right um, I definitely have a fixed mindset around singing it goes I can't sing I won't sing um, I might if there's a group of us uh, pretend that I'm singing but I'm not um, so, yeah, sure, we, we have fixed mindsets around some performance tasks and, and sometimes that doesn't matter, yeah? It doesn't really matter about the singing. I'm never going to be um, a musical performer of any kind. It doesn't make me avoid going to, I don't know, karaoke or to other things, but I just accept that I do not want to put the effort into addressing that even though I could. However, a fixed mindset in performance uh context or zones that matter to you does get in the way and that's where I think that we need to acknowledge okay I've got a bit stuck here um, and what is it that I need to do to move it into that growth phase and that will focus on you know uh, your um, effort or your response to challenges or how open you are to feedback um, or even how threatened you might feel by other people's success 
Uh, do you feel threatened by that or do you feel inspired by that and want to learn from other people's success? So we've got to absolutely, we know enough from the psychological science to understand how to help people shift mindsets if it's in an area that actually matters and will have an impact on them living this rich, rewarding, meaningful life that we are aiming for. Amazing, Joe. Thank you. Now, I know the Mind Room has been working hard to continue to support your clients during 2020. You were fully virtual from what seems like the very start of coronavirus. I've been following your Instagram at the Mind Room and really enjoying the daily check-ins that you run at 12.30. That's giving me great tips about staying well during this time. What do you think are the most important considerations? Uh, For business or for individuals or for... For individuals, right? Um, especially people that are um, at the moment working less than they normally would and having less output, maybe feeling less productive. Yeah, look, we had a really good conversation about this idea the other day. What the heck is it about us that we feel like we have to be productive? And when we have this pause, rather than going, great, an opportunity for uh having a non-productive days, <laughs> um, maybe just enjoying life and the opportunity that's been put in front of us, we want to turn it into some kind of mission. Um, so I think first thing that I'd say is you don't have to be productive. It's okay. You can let go of that. Now, if you want to be productive, that's different. Um, but also thinking about, well, what does that even mean? What does that look like for me? I think the other thing that's really, really important is that even if you're, because some people are enjoying this pause for the introverts out there, and I kind of sit on that cusp of introversion, extroversion, I actually have really enjoyed the first month of uh, a little less social contact or face expectation of face-to-face contact. I love the fact that I am sitting here doing a podcast in my tracky dacks. Um, You know, there's a lot of things that are actually enjoyable about it. But for all of us, it will be putting on an extra cognitive and emotional load, which will be making us um, more tired than usual or struggling to cope with even a reduced load, which seems counterintuitive. It's like, well, I'm doing less. I should feel energised and be super productive. And in fact, I'm struggling to do that. So I think acknowledging all this change takes a toll, whether you are enjoying the change or not enjoying the change. Um, so don't. So be kind. Be kind to your body. Listen to what your body is saying. Listen to what your mind needs would be the first piece. I think after that, um, this is an incredible opportunity to do the job that psychologists try to get you to do in your therapy sessions or in your coaching sessions, which is stop and take stock. What matters to you? You know, what are you not looking forward to going back to? What are you looking forward to going back to? Because that's going to tell you something about your values, your strengths and your priorities in life. So take a moment to pause, to reflect and to think about those things while you can. And I think the take the lead that uh, you suggested earlier, Jackie, of um, for you recognising I had a sabbatical, 
I felt like I rejuvenated, uh, re-energised, focused on the things that mattered. I've come back to business as usual and got caught up in a life and a lifestyle that um, isn't totally how I want it to be. So this pause is a break to go, okay, what can I do differently? What can I control? What can't I control? And what levers can I push or pull to influence the way that my life might look like when I come back into business as usual if we do get back to business as usual will be the other interesting piece. Amazing points there Joe. and I know you use so many different tools in your business of coaching or therapy but one of those is meditation and I've been lucky to do some guided meditations with you through our course that we ran last year I was wondering if we could finish this podcast episode with a short meditation. Will you guide us? Is that possible? I would be very happy to do that. So, yeah, what I thought we could do is um, a meditation that is a mindfulness exercise, which you can do eyes open, eyes closed. You can be sitting. You can be out walking. Wherever you are, this is a practice that can just help you to tune in, get present um, and, you know, may bring with that a little bit of kind of calm focus as well. So if you're ready for it, let's get started. So just bringing the attention inwards and I want you just to focus on your breath to start off with. So let's start with three deep, calm, slow breaths. So breathing right into the belly and the lungs and slowing everything down, particularly the out breath. And ideally seeing if you can breathe in through the nose and out through the mouth. And as you breathe out, just letting go of any obvious tension or holding on that might be in your body or it might be in your mind. So letting go of the to-do lists, letting go of planning or preparing and just seeing if you can bring yourself here into this moment. And letting your breathing fall back into its natural rhythm whatever that might be for you right now. And I want you to look around your environment. Notice where you are. And I want you to zoom in on five things that you can see. So when I look around me, I can see the light coming in the window and landing on one of my chairs. I can see my cup that I had my morning coffee in looking a little empty. So just try to pick out something that perhaps you don't usually notice. Five things. Okay, and now I'm going to get you to use a different sense for noticing. 
I want you to notice four things that you can feel. So bring your attention to the things that you're currently feeling. Maybe it's the texture of clothing on your body or the surface of a table or maybe there's a pen or something nearby. And just bring that open, curious, accepting attitude to the experience, so not needing to judge it or fix it. Just notice. Okay, let's move to the next sense. So this time you're going to notice three things that you can hear. So listen for and notice things in the background that you maybe don't normally notice. Might be the hum of heating or air conditioning. Could be birds chirping outside. Or a car going by. Again, just noticing that orchestra of everyday sounds not needing to judge or analyze or fix, just notice. Okay, we're going to move to the next sense. This time it's going to be what you can smell. So I want you to notice two things that you can maybe smell. So bring attention to the sense that you maybe, maybe usually filter out. They can be pleasant or they can be unpleasant. Just see if you can catch a whiff of maybe what's cooking in the kitchen or um, if you're outdoors, you know, the smell of the trees or the grass. And last but not least, I want you to notice one thing that you can taste. So, you know, if you have a drink nearby, take a sip of it. If you're chewing gum or got food in front of you, maybe just slow down and take a taste of it. Or maybe just being aware of the sensations in your mouth as we even talk about food when you say things like coffee or chocolate. Just noticing how your sense of taste responds to even the words. So thank you for doing this practice with me. It's a pretty simple one. It's called the five senses exercise. You can take this wherever you go. Um, it's just the tuning in to five things you can see, four things you can feel, three things you can hear, two things you can smell, and one thing you can taste. You can obviously just focus on one of those senses um, or play with this meditation, um, but it's a really lovely portable one and just helps to calm and center the mind so that you're ready for the rest of your day.
Joe, thank you so much. As I come out of that a little bit drowsy, <laughs> I really enjoyed that. And I always enjoy your calming voice as you you do these meditations. I'm super happy to be able to listen back to that and, and do it again. Thank you. And thank you very much for this whole conversation. I've really enjoyed it. And there's a lot of important points there. I can't wait for our next project. Thanks, Joe. Thank you, Jackie. And, um, you know, just to say, I think that you're being, you and your team are just being really visionary in bringing these ideas into your industry. And I, I hope that people um, can grab hold of them and, and think about how they want to live their lives because we only have one and um, you don't always have to do what you think you should be doing. So stop, take a look and yeah, live that life that you want to live. I really enjoyed that talk with Jo. She's really so knowledgeable and aware and I also just like listening to her voice. I hope that you enjoyed it too. Next week, I look forward to bringing an episode about physical health for surgeons. Whilst I'll use ophthalmology for our specific examples, and we sure have our specific challenges, I think some of the conversations will relate to all surgical fields, or even all of us that work with fixed posture, even just at a computer. I really look forward to interviewing a colleague about physical injury, telling you my story, and finally discussing preventative as well as therapeutic methods with a physiotherapist. Please subscribe to our podcast so that you don't miss next week. It's available on all of the usual platforms or via geni.org.au.